I think that you really need to know your personality and really understand you and how you work before hiring a team. You are listening to Running Remote, a podcast about building and scaling effective distributed teams. Join us as we dive inside the minds and processes of CEOs, managers, nomads, and dynamic entrepreneurs who are building impactful businesses and organizations through this new and innovative movement. They've thrown out the traditional rules and business textbooks and are actively finding new ways of organizing their teams, driving productivity, and scaling their growth. I'm your host, Stephanie Burns. Today's episode is brought to you by Running Remote, the world's largest remote work conference held in beautiful Bali, Indonesia. Check out the speaker lineup at runningremote.com and get 20% off your conference ticket for being a Running Remote podcast listener. Simply use coupon code IRUNREMOTELY and your 20% discount is automatically applied. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Running Remote Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Burns, and today with me, I have Josh Forty, founder of the Think Different Theory. Josh is a millennial thought leader, social media marketer, and true entrepreneur who chooses to see the world, people, and reality, not only for what it is, but what it can be. Welcome to the podcast, Josh. How are you? I am so well, Stephanie. Thank you so much for having me on here. I am looking forward to this. Sure. So uh, before we get started, I always like to ask our guests to give us some background on you and the Think Different Theory. But first, tell us about Josh. Where did you grow up? How did you get into entrepreneurship? Oh, man. Well, I was born in Wisconsin. At age one, I moved to the suburbs of Los Angeles, lived there for 10 years growing up. So I don't remember a lot of LA, but I did live out there. And then at age 11, my parents sold the house. My dad quit his job, but we packed everything into the back of an RV and drove across the country and ended up in a a little farm town in Indiana. And so from age about 12 to age 21 or so, I lived on a farm. I learned how to work very, very hard. Population of, you know, 500 people, the nearest Walmart, I don't know, 15, 20 minute drive, <laughs> you know, neighbors half a mile away. And so learned all about that. And then I don't know, I wanted something different. I've oftentimes said something more, but I, I don't want to bash on that life because I think it's a great life for the, you know, those people. But for me, I just wanted something different. And so I've always been a go-getter, an entrepreneur, a hard worker. And um, I went and started selling insurance after I dropped out of college because that college was just not for me. I couldn't do it. I started selling life and health insurance to businesses and and quite frankly, was not very good at it. I thought that if since I could talk really well, I could sell really well. And that was not the case. <laughs> and so I uh, went through a, a hard lesson or a hard reality of learning how to sell well. And after talking to one of my boss's clients, realized that there was a big opportunity online. And in the online space, he had mentioned that a lot of people were making money on there. So I went to Google, typed in how to make money online, and the rest is history. Ended up purchasing a course and just working. And, and I'm super, super condensing the story here, but just working, working, working uh, 18 hours a day, seven days a week in my early 20s and got into the social media game. So I started an Instagram agency. We grew and managed about mm, 5 million followers, give or take for clients and uh, then ended up selling that off and going in. And now I do, you know, social media marketing in general, not strictly on the growth side of things, but more of connecting the right people, doing the marketing pieces and just really have a really good understanding of that. And then more recently, I've had a real big passion and and life shift with um, just some of the the ups and downs that I've gone through in the low points of my life, as well as having uh, my older brother pass away in a tragic helicopter crash that just really shifted my perspective. And I've focused a lot on mindset 
and not the cliche like, yeah, just manifest everything and everything will work out. Like there's an actual thought process behind why manifestation works and why law of attraction works. And I wanted to understand the mind, not just, you know, mindset, but how the mind worked, why mindset was important and what, you know, we as people are capable of. And so we have a podcast, Think Different Theory, and that's basically up to speed to where we're at today. So tell us what the the purpose of Think Different Theory is. Yeah, so Think Different Theory is my podcast, and it started about seven months ago. We're coming up on seven months, and I just realized that when I went through my own journey of studying the mind and studying success and what it meant to be successful in all areas of life, that these things were not talked about a lot. I started reading like heavy, heavy books. I'm not light reading at all, studying the brain and neuroscience and how, you know, mindset works and how manifestation works and quantum physics and all these things. And I, you know, I have an audience on social media. So naturally I was sharing these things on there. I just thought that this is just what you did, but everyone was just blown away by it. They're like, whoa, this is amazing. And so I started to realize that anything that I wanted out of life came from being able to ask the right questions. And if I was able to think differently about everything that I you know, knew and understood and did in my life, then uh, that would you know, give me the answers. And so the podcast is simply my journey through life, documenting my journey, asking really big, tough life questions about success, about purpose, about reality, about everything in the entrepreneurship game, but also you know, bigger than that purpose and fulfillment in life. And we interview people that I want to talk to. Sometimes they're big sports celebrities. Sometimes they're the average person on the street that I you know, met, or maybe not the average person, but someone that has a really cool perspective that I want to pick their brain more. And I ask them to come on the podcast. We have a really cool conversation about it. And I just learn through all of that by asking them super cool questions. And people really like it because it brings a fresh perspective of that. And the reason that we're talking to you today is because I obviously want to know how you implement this framework, this think different framework when it comes to your distributed team. You're telling me that yeah. your team is in Finland and Canada, North Dakota. So tell Australia, us a little bit, yeah. Australia. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your team and how you all are working together in terms of where everybody's at in, in the world. I'm not someone that likes to be tied down. I never really have. I never thought of myself as like a traveler. You know, a lot of people are like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm a wanderer. I'm a traveler or this or that. I never really thought of myself as that. I just always knew that like stuff was going to change and that I liked different things. And so when it came to actually hiring people and building a team around things, I was like, well, quite frankly, I, I don't think it really matters where they're located as long as they can get the job done for two reasons. One, because I wouldn't want to be like tied down and have to come into an office every day. So why would I make my employees do that? And secondly, I'm going to change and I'm going to move around and I'm going to get my work done as I go. As long as there's deadlines and everybody's on the same page, quite frankly, I don't care where they are. I just want to make sure that we're all on the same mission with that. And so how I have it structured is, and we hire first and foremost based off of character and then skill set and you know things with that. But we fill positions not based off of location, but strictly based off of the character and the position that we're trying to fill. And then we have a really cool back end where we all communicate. We're all on the same page. And we have checklists and systems and stuff on the back end there. So what tools are you using to keep everybody organized? Oh, that's a great question. That that took some, some work to figure out, let me <laughs> sure. tell you. And I think we're still dialing in everything just perfectly. You know, I mean, we're always trying to, to go and adapt and evolve and improve. One of the things that I absolutely did not want to use, and I was so against it when we first started, but I made the switch and it was amazing, was Slack. And so Slack has been absolutely amazing. I know some people use like different variations of Slack, but Slack or something of that nature where, you know, we're all on the same boards, but we all have our own individual chats and we can kind of go back and forth. That has been absolutely 
incredible. And the fact that that integrates with email and that that integrates with Trello and that integrates with, you know, other different things for notifications and whatnot has been amazing. So from a communication standpoint, we use Slack. The only negative thing that we have found with Slack is that there is no voice notes. And I absolutely love voice notes. So we also use Voxer for more like instant communication. And this, I actually don't Vox a lot of members of the team. I typically just Vox my direct assistant because she's better at writing than I am. And so she'll communicate it to the rest of the team. But we use Voxer for more voice communications rather than phone calls because phone calls tend to be relatively inefficient most of the time. And then for organization purposes and like projects and layouts and different things like that, Trello has been phenomenal just to have a bunch of different Trello boards and each project has their own board and you can assign people. And one of the biggest shifts that I had to make and learn is just trusting that people will just look at Trello for what to do. And um, I'm so used to, you know, getting orders every day. I mean, that mindset or employee mentality that I had to transition out of when I first started, you know, you just assign people, all the instructions are there, the processes are there. And so almost all of our processes for, I mean, even interviews like this, I mean, interviews, you know, content creation, courses that we're creating, agency work that we're doing all gets done on Trello. And if there is something that we're going to do more than once, then there's a Trello board for it, or at least a Trello card for it with all the instructions on there and uh, more written, you know, we link it with Google Drive and Google Docs and stuff like that. But our core set of communication within internal within team, not external, but internal within team is Slack, Trello and Boxer. Cool. And so how are you creating culture between your team members being so spread out? I love that you asked that question, quite honestly. Um, <laughs> very few people talk about that. So one of the things, actually, we just hired a new employee, I think two weeks ago now. And one of the things that I do is still now, and we're a relatively small team, all things considered, you know, it's not like we have hundreds of people, so I can still do this. But I sit down with the employee after they're, you know, introduced to everything, my assistant goes through and trains them on everything that they need to know, gets them set up. But then we have about an hour long phone call where I'll send them over the documents of our company values. And so I have a list of companies company values on there that I go through and explain the reason behind why each one of those is there, you know, from everything from, you know, we do things with excellence and we're always honest to, you know, we over communicate rather than under communicate. And I try my very best to live by those values and to live that way and communicate with my team that way. And when my team makes mistakes, like I just go back to the, the value board and I say, well, here's how we're gonna handle it and this is what we do. And so having that like right from the get-go to say, this is what we do, this is how we operate, really sets the tone moving forward. And then being consistent in managing that way has very helped. And then we also have weekly team meetings about everything just to recap anything that you know, they're seeing. And, and we have a very transparent and open environment. I'm not trying to manage from the top and say, this is what we do. I welcome feedback. I would say probably once a month or so. I'm like, hey, what ideas do you have? What do you see that we can make better? Where can we improve here and there? And I have pretty much an open door policy when it comes to ideas and when it comes to struggles or anything like that, that we think we can you know, do better. And we very much encourage that. And then lastly, I you know, tell each one of my employees, I say, listen, I'm not gonna give you like a budget to say, hey, you get X number of dollars per month or per year to spend on personal development. But if there is something that you see out there that would specifically make your job better, that would allow you to do your job better or bring perspective, whether that's, you know, a book or uh, a course or, you know, a program or an event that you want to go to. And there's a logical reason behind that. Well, then let me know. And if it makes sense, then I'm willing to invest in that so that my team and the culture there gets better. Because I believe that if you invest in your employees, you invest in the company culture, like you know, we're talking about, that is going to have 
tremendous effects long-term and is going to attract top talent and quality character people to come to want to work with us. And so having that expectation up front that says we do this for you know purpose and for reasoning and supporting that culture around with everything, as well as, I mean, like I really stress over communicating things. A lot right. of people say talk less. I say, if there is a possibility that somebody could misunderstand what you're gonna say, then provide more context around it. And my team hates me for it sometimes because I will talk and talk and talk, but I tried to say, hey, this is what we're doing. And if they don't understand it the first time, I'm like, okay, here's why. And I think that that really does breed this culture of saying, okay, there needs to be reasons behind what it is that we're doing. There is a thought through process and everything Josh does. And if you make a mistake, fine, that, you know, we'll learn from that, but there should be a reason why that mistake was made and, you know, a spot, something put in place to avoid that happening in the future. And, and I want to dig a little deeper into that, into the over-communication, because we do talk a lot about that on the podcast when you are not sitting in a room with someone, when there's no water cooler talk, when there's no, you know, hey, how was your weekend? Those kinds of things. A lot of context can be missed. Yeah. And so over communication piece is so important when you have a distributed team. Have you found challenges around that? Was that a learning process for you? Or was that something you always just kind of knew from the get go that you were going to put into place? I think it was a slight challenge, but I think we really lucked out. So I don't want to say that like, oh yeah, my way is the perfect way. And you know, I'm an expert at, you know, figuring this out and we figured all that out. But I think where I, I don't know if got lucky was the right word or was indirectly smart was I was very rigorous in my hiring process. So the first couple of assistants that I had hired, you know, cycled in and out very quickly. Like I'm not the easiest person to work with or work for. I mean, there's a reason I'm an entrepreneur, right? I'm a terrible employee. Right. Uh, and so <laughs> I know myself pretty well when it comes to knowing that at times I can be ridiculously incredibly blunt and at other times I can be the most understanding person depending upon what's happened to me in that day, right? Like, you know, there's a lot around that. And so I went through and when I actually got serious and said, okay, I need a full-time employee, my first full-time employee, her name is Carrie and she is literally a lifesaver. I mean, she's one of the most amazing people I've ever met when it comes to, you know, what she's done. But I had her take not one, but two different personality tests. Mm -hmm. I went and hired someone that I knew that did like personality management and like things really well that like knew how people worked really well. And I sent her my tests and I sent her my, you know, Carrie's tests. And I was like, are these going to mash? Like, are, are we going to work well together? Are we going to be able to figure this out? You know, so I went through this process and I was just incredibly open up front saying, here's how I am and here's what I do. And because I was able to do that, I think it set the expectations up front for us to treat each other as humans rather than treat each other as like boss employee. And so because that culture was there right at the beginning, the other people that were brought in Carrie did an amazing job of just, you know, having conversations with them or whatnot and basically telling them like, hey, Josh is the same way. He likes talking about it. I mean, I'm young, I'm 25, right? Like I like having conversations and talking to people or whatnot. But most importantly, as long as the work is getting done, I don't mind there being communication and things of that nature. And so like, I mean, I share a lot of my personal stuff with my employees, especially Carrie. I talk about, you know, struggles and I listen to their struggles and, you know, I, I'm religious, I'm a Christian. So I'll ask them, hey, you know, what do you want me to pray for you for? And so like different things like that really bring that out. And I think that for me, it came naturally simply because I grew up in a family with seven, I have seven <laughs> siblings. So like working in an environment with a lot of other people, you just kind of got used to doing because of that. And so I just kind of took that and put it in and it had its own challenges. I think sometimes I was too laxed with things and let things slide. So I think for me, it was actually the opposite of maybe talking less about people's problems and sticking with work, but creating that culture of just like, hey, all right, you know, we're treating people as people. If somebody doesn't get along, 
and there's tension in any way where there's stress between people, we talk it out. Let's get on a phone call, a three-way phone call right now, and I will sit here until you guys figure out your problems, Mm -hmm. right? And creating that culture, creating that thing to say, we're in this to work together, and you're going to treat each other as family, even though you are just you know employees or coworkers together, like treat each other like you'd want to be treated. That's really really helped with that culture. And everybody has to take two personality tests when they come in, so that we know how that person works. One of our employees that just doesn't say a whole lot. That's fine, but we knew that going in, so that when we get a yep right back in a message, we're not oh man, are they mad? You know that's just how they operate. Right. Whereas if you get a yep from me, and it's not just to <laughs> say like that's okay, it's just a yep, then that probably means I'm really ticked off. Right. <laughs> Like understanding like different people's personalities, how they work has been really helpful. I had a guest on this podcast not too long ago who told me that he gave his employees the love languages test. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, so that he could figure out how they would all feel loved. And it's funny because I I thought that was so clever. And I went home that night and told my husband, he has his own physical therapy practice. And he was like, I'm going to do that. And he did. And he gave all of his employees and, you know, the techs and the PTs and stuff that work for him, the love languages test. And he, he even said to me, just the other night, he was like, that was the most valuable test I think I've ever learned because now he's implementing ways to make sure that his employees feel loved. And, you know, there's physical touch and there's those kinds of things. He's like, I know I don't have to like hug people, but I can give them a high five, you know, those kinds of things. So I think that that's really interesting to give more context into personality so that we know. I mean, you're right. Like if somebody texts you back and says, yep, or K, that's the worst one. (laughs) K. And you know, this person's not actually angry. That's just how they communicate. And I I stress that. I'm like, I think one of the big things when it comes to uh, communication as well with that is I don't care who you are, even if you're not a words person, right? If that's, you're not someone that overly communicates, you don't use a lot of words and you're texting or messaging or your calls back and forth. That's fine. I don't expect you to. However, there is a universal rule that says if there is a problem or you have a problem with someone, you cannot expect them to know that mm. unless you have verbally said it and communicated it to them. And, you know, this is something that even in personal relationships and, you know, my relationship with my girlfriend and stuff like, you know, I told her because she's much less of a words person than I am. And so like, you know, when we first started dating, you know, the first couple months, there was times when I'm like, is she mad? Is she mad? So finally, you know, one time I was like, do you have a problem with me? She's like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, well, did you tell me? She's <laughs> like, well, you should have known. I'm like, no, you know, like this is it. And, you know, we went back and forth and I saw that and I was like, oh my gosh, I bet you that's what's happening in my company too. Mm. Like people are upset. And because they don't normally communicate or because how they grew up or the last place that they worked, they were just told to shut up and do their job. They don't say anything. I just have a universal rule that's like, you are not going to hurt my feelings. Like you could, I mean, straight up tell me that you hate me as boss and you're not going to hurt my feelings if there's a legitimate reason behind that. But you have absolutely no right to be mad at me unless you have communicated that to me or you have no reason to be upset that something is not fixed unless it has been very clearly stated of exactly how you would like it fixed or what you know what needs to be fixed behind that so communication i think it's less important maybe in a physical office setting but from a remote standpoint when your team like you said is not there every day and you can't see body language and you can't see if they're tired or not or you can't see if they showed up late or had a flat tire you know stuff like that when you don't have that context verbal context four things is absolutely important. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to add to that expectations. 
as well. You know, there's so many hidden expectations that we all have, whether we realize it or not sometimes, but we have to, especially in remote work, we have to communicate our expectations so that we give the other person a chance to say, hey, I'm going to meet that expectation or hey, I am not going to meet that expectation and here's why. And that's when you can really start to hash out where a project's going or where a relationship's going or where the company's headed and things like that really brings to light more clarification, which seems to be much more important in this kind of setting. I would agree with that. There was a a guy, a client that we worked for. We did a lot of work with him. And so we were on his Slack channel and uh, like we were actually part of his team. It was like an ongoing, you know, project in that setting. And it was weird because when we first got on there, it was like, no one really knew what to do. Like we were just kind of sitting there like, well, okay. And so like we had our, you know, our call and like we knew what the agreement was, but there was no clear setting of like this or that or whatever. And so we call them, you know, and we're like, hey, listen, like we can do this, but there absolutely needs to be clear guidelines of what is expected and what's not. And it was amazing to watch how much more effective we got our work done and how much more smoothly the team ran when he just came in and was like, here's what you need to get done today message me when you're done, right? And there was just that clear expectation that was like, here's what it is, boom, done deal, rather than, how's everything going today, guys? And they're like, good. And then you get you know, a month into it and you're like, well, why are sales down, right? Why are you know, things chaotic right. when there's no clear goals? Right, interesting. So what, what are some of the challenges that you've faced since having a remote team? Time zone issues hmm. are big. One of the things, like I, when there's a problem, I'm pretty relaxed when expectations are set, right? And it's like, hey, you know, I'm gonna have it done by Friday and I message you on Wednesday and I'm like, hey, where are we at? And you're like, hey, I haven't started yet, but I'm gonna get to it tonight. Like, cool, as long as it's done by Friday and it's done well, I'm pretty relaxed on something. And when things are going well, I'm, I'm pretty chill. But if something goes wrong and it negatively affects a customer or a client, that is like a huge no-no to me. And it would probably be one of my weaknesses is that like, I will freak out. And like, I will not freak out like panic, but I will freak out and be like, this needs to be fixed 60 seconds ago. It doesn't matter if it's three o'clock in the morning, like I'm calling my employees, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like whosoever job that was. And so for me, it's been frustrating because if you just do your work, there should be no problems. And so if there is a problem and it's because an issue on our end, not like a software broke down or something like that, but like if it is an employee issue and it's seven o'clock at night where I'm at and three o'clock in the morning there, I get frustrated because they're not picking up the phone, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, it's not really fair because, you know, three o'clock, they're probably with their family or asleep. You know what I mean? But like at the same time, I'm like, this should not happen. And so that has been one big thing where like I've had to work through and put checklists and like backup plans in place that basically say, hey, if something goes wrong and guy in Finland is asleep, who do I go to? Where can I look to fix this issue myself? Because I have no problem fixing things myself, mm. right? Like even if it's not my job and a lot of employers are like, you know, and entrepreneur coaches will be like, don't hop in and help. Like that's not your thing. Remove yourself from the process. I'm like, y'all suck. Like, you know what I mean? Like just <laughs> like, just do the work. You know what I mean? If it needs to be done, don't be that stuck up person that's not willing to jump in and help. But figuring out those things has been a really big challenge. And then I think the other thing that took us a while to figure out and every time that we bring someone on or start new projects or like go down this rabbit hole of like, not just like a new client, or a new client tasks, but actually adding a new process and system into the business, figuring out like who does what and when and the best place to set it up. We don't really have yet have it solidified that the best process, it's more trial and error, right? Like we know how to build systems, but we're, we are still kind of speculating. And because everybody's on different time zones and prefers different ways of doing things, we kind of go, okay, 
here's what we think is going to work, but I'm constantly having to double check and triple check the first three, four, five, six times through to make sure that things are going well because I want to make sure that they're going well. But when everybody's not in the same room and everybody's not seeing things clearly and seeing things the same way, or there's language differences, you know, people talk differently over in Australia than they do in America, right? Mm -hmm. Or over in Finland than they do in America. Figuring out all those has been a little bit, I don't want to say uh, like an issue because we've always worked through them, but like a struggle to know the best way of doing that. And so, you know, for us, once again, going back to the over communication of things, that's what, you know, that's how I solve it. And we just get on there and just hash it out in a screen share or whatnot, but figuring out those new projects and setting rough deadlines of knowing like, okay, this is when this is supposed to be done when we don't actually know whether or not that's going to work. Right. <laughs> like we're just totally guessing. And with everybody else being all over the place, all over the globe and the time zone differences there and the communication differences there, sometimes we run into issues where things take a little bit longer than we expect them to take simply because we don't know what we're up against with transferring data and information back and forth. Right. So on the converse side of that, what are some of the advantages that you've seen in your business having a remote team? Labor expenses. Mm. And I would say I would say happy employees. Honestly, like I'm not saying that you can't be happy going to an office every single day, but like I am pretty flexible. And I say this hesitantly because I don't I don't know if this will change at scale because like right now I wouldn't consider, I don't even consider like a million dollar, $3 million, maybe not even $5 million business at scale. Like I even think a $5 million business is still relatively small. So I, I can't speak to like 10, 20, $30 million businesses. And this may change when I get there. But as of now, I don't care where you work. And as long as your work is done, they're happy. I'm happy. I don't care if you're sitting on a beach. And so the ability for me to hire really good people at what they do and give them the freedom to do it in their own way without me having to think about the environment that they're working in, you know, like if they like to listen to music while they work and somebody else doesn't and I have them both in the same office, that could be an issue. Or if they don't like each other, I don't know, one person stinks really bad. I, I've never <laughs> had that but like hypothetical, you know what I mean? You avoid a lot of the, I like to call them like fluff issues, like the issues that are not really important, but right. are important to people, not really important to the business. They shouldn't slow things down by letting people just go create their own environment, go create what they do. And then being able to hire really good talent for a fraction of what it would cost in house. Because when you have someone there in house, you are really limiting their ability to do anything else, but what you give them the ability to do. And as of right now in my business, most of my employees work exclusively for me, but like there are a couple of them that they don't like they have other clients, mm. but I'm the one that pays the biggest check. Right. And so I'm like, Hey, as long as your work doesn't interfere, I don't see it. So it's fine. Like if you use the zoom access or whatever to, to go have a client call, cause your zoom is down. I'm cool with that. You know what I mean? Yep. And so like going out there and just giving them their freedom allows me to come in and say, Hey, I'm paying you for this task. I want you to do it really well. And here's what I'm doing. And I can get cheap labor. I don't even say cheap labor because we pay good, but like cheaper labor than having someone in house. I think single handedly that has been the biggest benefit. And then secondly to that, I like to move around. I like to travel. And some days my brain doesn't turn on for work until later than other days. And if I had to go into an office every single morning and lead a team right now at this point in my life, that would be a struggle for me to do every single day consistently and show up. But now I have to go a 10 a.m. meeting for one hour and I'm good and then I can kind of check out and do my thing. There are days when, and my team knows this about me, there are days when you just won't reach me. 
I'll do my morning meeting with them and say, all right, bye. And they'll message me all day and they won't hear back from me because I'm checked out in reading learning mode. And I'll look back at my phone at nine o'clock and there's 25 messages and they know how to get a hold of me, like in the case of emergency. But like, and then there's other days where I'm like grind mode, everything is there and blah, blah, blah. But it doesn't affect them at all. Whereas if it was in person and they saw me out of the office half the time, they don't know whether I'm out partying or whether I'm sitting in my home reading and studying books or studying quantum physics. You know, they I mean, there's no context around that. And so for me, being able to just go and have freedom and flexibility and have my team do the same while still leading when the time is there that needs to be led has been very helpful. And you're in Nebraska. I'm in Nebraska right now. <laughs> Nebraska. Yeah. Omaha, Nebraska. My hometown, the good life. We were just talking a little bit about you being in Nebraska, because that's where I spent my childhood, and how interesting it is that entrepreneurship, we're not relegated to being in San Francisco and LA and New York anymore. You know, there's some really big operations coming out of Omaha or Boise or Vegas and those kinds of things. And I think remote work has enabled us to, like you said, open up a map, drop your finger and end up in Omaha, right? Yeah, I do. I, I think that that's super important to understand is like the internet. It's weird because like the internet is one of these things where a lot of, and I don't want to play the, the stereotype card here, but as a general rule, I think a lot of the older generation doesn't really understand the internet and the newer generation doesn't understand the power of the internet because like what the internet has done, you know, everybody thinks that this, the internet is this mysterious place and it, it is but really the only thing that social media and the internet has done is allowed us to connect with everybody from anywhere, which sounds like a simple concept, but it's absolutely radically transformational to life. And so, I mean, you look at Twitter, I can tweet, think of having like an open text communication to anyone in the world and having a chance of them to be able to reply. I mean, that's Twitter and, you know, Facebook being able to connect with friends simplistically. And when you run ads, run ads to anybody in the world that's on that platform, I can now communicate and transfer data and information instantaneously to anywhere in the world, no matter where I'm at. And so I can now virtually get around like-minded people get in front of ideal customers and learn from the smartest people from the comfort of my own home or office, wherever in the world that is. And so on the positive side of that, that has fundamentally changed the universe and or the, the way that the world works. On the downside, and I don't think that this is something that enough people talk about, the negative side of that is that you also lose proximity when you're not around like-minded people in real life. And I would say that one of the biggest and most, or I would say key factors of my success is my networking abilities, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And the places where I have gone and had the most networking, like, yes, it started online. That's what opened up the doors to my opportunities. But I've met far bigger and more successful people and made hugely bigger connections going to live events or moving, literally switching environments with that. And because so many people are just so content to just sit online now, they don't like to go and do those things as much. I mean, I was just out in LA over the weekend with a bunch of celebrity YouTubers. There's a big challenger game out there. There's like a hundred different athletes there. Logan Paul, Jake Paul, Amanda Cerny, like big, 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 huge names, right? It cost me a plane ticket out there and 250 bucks to, to get a VIP ticket and a little convincing of a security guard to let me in. And I was hanging out with people that had 20, 30, 40 million 
followers, people that have millions of dollars, investors, like people like that. And I got connections. I mean, I had people giving me their address, their phone numbers, like that you couldn't pay someone to go get from that simply by being around that. And if you move to New York, the opportunity that's going to be in New York is just so much greater than a small farm town. But the barrier to entry that the internet brings allows you to not have to go there. What people forget is like, just because you don't have to doesn't mean that there's not power in going to those things. Right. And so for me with the remote teams, this is why I tell my like my team, I'm like, yeah, remote is amazing. And I, I think everybody should have remote stuff. I mean, like, oh my gosh, like there's the freedom that that brings, but don't let that stop you from also going to live events or stop you from not living in a place that isn't ideal, right? I mean, if you live in a small farm town and your goal is to build a billion dollar company, hey, maybe getting around a more entrepreneurial city, even if that is not a big city. I mean, I look at Omaha, Omaha is not big. But I will tell you, the connections that you can make in Omaha, Nebraska, because of the, you know, the investors and the money here are crazy. So I'm not saying you have to go to New York, but understand that proximity is power. Getting around those will fundamentally expedite your growth. I completely agree. And I'm in Bentonville, Arkansas, which is the headquarters for Walmart, J.B. Hunt, Tyson. And, you know, you could throw a stone and hit somebody that's, <laughs> you know, it makes a and it's, right, right. exactly. And so, you know, where you are now that remote work has enabled us to create businesses and be in the places we want to be, you can be pretty dialed in no matter really where you are, or it can be pretty close. I mean, just like you said, I've, I've made some incredible connections just standing in line at South by Southwest Yeah, yep. to get into, you know, what, hear somebody speak or to get a coffee or something. So, you know, there is power in the, the networking aspect of it and you do have to get offline sometimes. You're right. So Josh, yeah. tell me, what's the biggest piece of advice you would give someone who is thinking about either moving their team remote or bringing on remote workers? I think that there's two schools of thought when it comes to building any team, remote or not. One of them is hire fast, fire fast, right? Mm -hmm. And the other is hire slow, hardly fire at all. I think that you really need to know your personality and really understand you and how you work before hiring a team. And there's a little book called uh, Managing Oneself that I read, it's just a little itty bitty booklet. And it's so good and talks about like knowing yourself and the different areas that you need to know. When you're gonna go and build a remote team, you have to understand that there are things that you're looking for in those people I think the biggest one is being a, you know, a self-starter and someone that doesn't have to be constantly micromanaged, but understand that the communication barriers that you're going to have with them, they're also going to have with you. And so when you can understand yourself better and understand how you work better, you're going to have such a better time being able to hire effectively because then you're going to know where your areas of weakness are and where your areas of strength are. And so I would say first and foremost, get to know yourself. Take every personality test that you can possibly find that's like credible and that people know about so that you can know yourself better. Read the book, Managing Oneself. Know your strengths, know your weaknesses. And I would say for me, and I don't have a ton of experience hiring tons of people. I mean, I've hired maybe half a dozen people or so, right? But for me, if you're the type of person that is not like good at managing, like if that's not your skill set, find a number two person that can go and communicate effectively. One of the biggest reasons that I think that I am able to get away with a lot of things that I am today is that the person, my number two is Carrie. And while she's technically my assistant, if you want to call it that, she's not my assistant. She's the one that takes all this garbage from me, my crazy mind of chaos sometimes. I mean, my mind is this crazy, weird place. I see the world differently than so many people. Like, I'm weird. And if I were to go dump some of the really, really deep thoughts and emotions on the rest of my team that I have sometimes, <laughs> that would not be a good thing, right? They'd be like, Josh, you're psycho, right? 
But <laughs> Don't scare Harry, us, Josh. <laughs> well, right, but like not in a not in a creepy way, mm-hmm. but just like I think differently. I really do. I mean, the podcast is there for a reason. Like I just see the world so different than so many people because of my life experiences. If I were to go and be like, hey, I think that we should all try to wake up at three o'clock in the morning and do all of our work in four hours just to see if it works. That would be a really bad idea to just go and just toss that idea out to the team. But like, I like to talk my thoughts out. So for me, I know that I need someone like Carrie that can basically be the filter, Mm -hmm. right? Not from a, a cussing, swearing standpoint, but from a filter of like, hey, let's not tell everybody that crazy idea so that they're not worried that they might have to wake up at three, you know what I mean? Or something like that. And knowing yourself and knowing your strengths and weaknesses. So that's step one. I would say know yourself and know the type of person that you need. And then second, my rule is hire slow, fire rarely. Fire, I mean, fire when you have to, but when you do a really good job of doing your research and interviewing people, I'm big into like Sam Ovens. And Sam Ovens said he sat through like 600 interviews to hire three people. Now I'm not saying be that crazy picky, But like the culture and the talent that he's creating in that by being so picky and understanding of that is incredible. And so I look at that and I go, okay, if I can find really good people to where I don't have to worry about it, if I can find the people, I know that I don't like to micromanage people. I want people that are self-starters, that are accountable on their own, and that I don't have to micromanage. But I also know that I need people that are going to be okay with not being micromanaged, but that every now and then I'm going to come in randomly and be like, tell me everything that's going on and make sure that everything is perfect. Not because I'm trying to pick on them, but because I want to know the process. And so I need people that are thick skinned enough to know, okay, when Josh freaks out and comes in and is like, give me every single step that you've done and all your reports about everything so I can review them. They don't take that personally. They just know, okay, that's just Josh being Josh. And Carrie, that person for me, has done an amazing job of prepping the team for those things, right? And like when I get on, I'm just like, hey, this is how I am. Some days I'm gonna message you 7,200 times and then you won't hear from me for a week. And so having that one point of communication where your team knows who to go to. If it's your first hire ever, oh boy. Like you might have to, I went through six people before I found Carrie. Wow. But when you find that person, hold on to them, treat them amazingly well and always communicate like expectations. And so, I mean, that would say to sum this up and make it clear, one, know yourself. Two, know your strengths and weaknesses. Three, if you are that type of person that is all over the place or isn't steady and steadfast, like I'm not, I'm not a very even keeled person, find someone that is, especially if you're gonna build a team. And then four, take care of your employees. I mean, I truly, truly mean that. There's one thing that my employees know better than anyone. When it's payday, they will be paid instantaneously, without question, no matter what, no matter if I'm upset at them, if things are terrible, if we've lost a lot of money, if things are going well, it does not matter. I have them go and you know the invoice thing that we do, when I get the notification that it's time to do, within minutes, everything's paid. Because I want my employees to know that no matter what, as long as you're showing up and doing your job, I am going to take care of you. And I see people that are like, yeah, 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 I'll get to it, right? Or yeah, 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 like I'll pay you tomorrow or whatever. Like, no, like money is the one thing that if you're hiring people, do not make them question whether or not that they're going to get paid from you. Do not make that an awkward conversation because they will be so loyal to you because so many people are not like that. And so I invest in my employees. I buy them books, courses, things of that nature. And the one thing that I will never miss is I will not miss a payment or or even delay a payment because I'd never want them questioning whether or not 
I'm going to pay them for the work that they do. And it shows them that I actually value them. And especially in a remote work setting when they can be working for a lot of other people, like yeah. they can go out there and find there's other opportunities out there, especially good economy, internet, yada, yada. Like they can go work for anyone. You want to keep them. You want them to be loyal. Always pay them right away. Very good advice, Josh. It was so fun to talk to you today. I'm so glad that you were able to join me on the podcast. Yes. Thank you so much for having me on. This was good. That's it for this episode of Running Remote. Thanks for joining us as we dive into the minds and processes of CEOs, managers, nomads, and dynamic entrepreneurs who are building impactful businesses and organizations through this new and innovative movement. We're a very small team behind this podcast, so if you liked what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review, and share this episode with a friend. And definitely check us out at runningremote.com. Until next time.